Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. Casablanca. Round up all the usual suspects. You must remember this one. A kiss is just a kiss one. Hello everybody and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted one season or less. Mm. My name is William Bibiano. <laughs> I'm a film critic for Crave Online, Blumhouse.com. Everyone calls me Bibs. I got a nice little panache in that intro. Yeah, I like a little I like to add a little zazz, a little zing, a little a little razzmatazz. It's, it's lacking zazz. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. <laughs> that, that was me doing my my murder face impersonation from Metalocalypse. Okay. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I'm a film critic of some stripe. I contribute to the entire internet, and I'm the co-host of the B-Movies podcast. From, from whence, whence we hail. hail. Uh, this week on Cancelled Too Soon, we've got a, an, an episode... Or a series, more accurately, I guess, that uh, is one of the most requested we've ever had. And we've talked about it before, but it's weird that it's so requested, because until we started doing this show, I had never heard of it. No oh, one seemed okay. to talk about it. I, I had heard of it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, th- there was a weird... The life of the movie that this is based on mm-hmm. kind of went through a few waves, Mm. Um, what is the name of the series we're going to be doing? So we're going to be doing Casablanca, about. the series, which aired uh-huh. on NBC in 1983 mm. from April 10th to April 24th. And it took a really long break. And then the last two episodes aired on August 24th and August 27th. I, I guess they had the last two in the can. It's like, oh, yeah, we got to air something. But we, that, that TV movie is not done yet. I guess we'll throw these last two up. Pretty much. Um, so, yeah, uh, Casablanca uh, became a TV series in 1983. Now, Casablanca came out in 1942. Uh, and it is, uh, we don't need to describe what happens in that movie because you've seen it. Uh uh, Unfortunately, we can't guarantee even, that. Even if you haven't seen it, you probably know what happens in the movie because it's been quoted and referred to and kind of leaked its way into popular culture in a really big way. Well, I do want to talk about it. We'll talk about it in a minute. I do want to talk about it in some detail because I think it helps to sort of not just remember that Casablanca existed mm-hmm. and that it's considered a great movie, but why it's considered a great movie and sort of its place yeah, in history yeah. because the the framework, the context mm-hmm. of the original Casablanca, the movie... Uh, and the environment into which it sprang and became a box office sensation and won a bunch of Oscars uh, mm. was different than the environment in which Casablanca, the series in nineteen yeah. in the nineteen eighties, came out. So there was a very different, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. environment. I guess. But yeah, it's it, uh, in in the nineteen forties. Uh, Casablanca was one of those. Like, it wasn't even a prestige picture. It was just another film that the studio was slapping together using the same formula they were using on a lot of other films. Mm-hmm. We, we have these stars in our stable. We have access to an exotic locale. World War II is raging right now. Although, we'll although just sort actually, of mix all those things together. Casablanca and, was actually shot on a soundstage. Right. What, what it, I mean, it sounds like exotic. Sorry. What, what I mean is that a lot of films were were set in exotic locations yeah. at the time. But and uh, they so yeah they decided to go to uh, Morocco into this. Uh, 
not really neutral, but acted as a neutral ground bar where uh, people could get exit visas to flee to the Americas. Uh, and the Nazis were always on their trail. The, the setup for uh, Casablanca, the actual plot of Casablanca, this, uh, here's what Casablanca was. Casablanca is a city of Morocco, and uh, at the dawn of World War II, um, it was technically French-occupied uh, uh, territory. It was technically neutral, but France itself was currently mm. occupied mm. by Germany. So it was this weird kind of nebulous state where technically the French were in charge, but the French were taking a lot of orders from the Germans. Mm. And Casablanca was this sort of last ditch effort. If you were a refugee, if you were uh, a POW, if you were if you were trying to escape. Or in, in the case of the movie, a, a, a fleeing revolutionary. Yeah. This was like the last place you could get a plane out to America or some other, like, neutral country to escape the war. Mm. Uh, but actually getting approval to get on a plane was damn near impossible. Yeah. So, and people will do just about anything in order to get it. So yeah. it was a film that came out at the start of World War II mm. uh, that was, yeah, you're right, When it, in its inception, it wasn't considered to be much of a prestige picture, but it came out at exactly the right time. Well, it, it came, it out, came at out at a time exactly... when Americans were really getting into the war. They were actually mm. starting to realize that the level to which Americans didn't want to get out there, no. take in refugees, fight Nazis, get involved in World War II. They didn't want to do it. And then Casablanca came along and it was about exactly that thing. It's about an American who didn't want to get involved and end up feeling as though he had to. Mm. And that was exactly the temperament of the country at the time. And it also happened to be spectacularly well made. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, it, they, the, the studio got an action director, uh, the guy who did like Captain Blood and all of these like sort of swashbuckling epics, a guy named Michael Curtiz, uh, a, a Hungarian-born director, uh, to direct it, and it's not an action picture, but it crackles like one. It moves it really, really moves, fast. And it's, There's a lot and, of suspense. And it, it's still, to this day, it still plays. Mm -hmm. It's... Uh, often called one of the best films of all time, and I'm not going to argue with that assessment. Mm -hmm. uh, there are parts of it that don't play as well as they used to. Um, mm. There's, like, uh, uh, Claude Rains plays the French mm. uh, uh, commander. He's in charge mm. of the police forces R in Casablanca. Renol, yeah. Uh, and at, it seems as though he's, like, he's kind of funny. He mm. knows that he's doing the wrong thing, but he's someone's got to do his job, and he's just doing the best. But there's also this subplot about him using his position to force women to have sex with him in exchange for exit visas, uh -huh. and that's not as funny as it used to be. Uh, I, I, there's stuff I, I, like that that uh, don't Cla really play. Claude Rains is so great, I still buy it. So um, I buy it, and I think it's interesting mm. that he's a character who's really complicated, mm. and in which you can accept that he has done horrible things, well, the, but is also capable of goodness. I think that's part of the film. He's, he's, but it's he's, not a, as, he's it, a lovable scoundrel, you, and I, I I appreciate you that. You can't laugh it uh, off the way you used to. It I plays a little not. differently today, okay. is my point. But it's still brilliant, and uh, I think it's fantastically well in, written, and it plays really great. Uh, then Casablanca, this was before the era of home video, Casablanca sort of, it didn't vanish from the consciousness. People still loved it, but it wasn't readily available until uh, the era of maybe Woody Allen, like when he started making Play It Again, Sam, and was taking influences from the French New Wave, and it started to play in repertory houses. So you'll notice a lot of films in sort of like the mid to late 60s made a lot of Casablanca references, yeah. because it started to sort of infiltrate the consciousness again. Also, uh, right. you might notice that I think that period in which, yeah, it played, it, played, it kept mm. playing, people were still booked the film. Oh. But with before like home video, it was a hell of a lot easier to get quotes from movies wrong. So everyone sort of remembered right. the scene in Casablanca where uh, uh, Ilsa. Ilsa and or Humphrey Bogart says, mm. play it again, Sam. Yeah. Actually, I think it's uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart who supposedly said, play it again, Sam. All right. And because Ilsa says, play it. And then mm. Humphrey Bogart tells her, no, 
<laughs> Don't play that. I thought I told you never on. to play that. <gasps> what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah and then he uh, and then uh, mm. uh, he decides to play it again. But everyone has heard that line. <laughs> mm. So there's a whole play slash movie oh. called Played Against Sam, which told everyone that that line is played against Sam, and that's actually not what that is. It's play it, Sam. Play as time goes by. That's a line from line of dialogue from the movie. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, then so but it started to play again, but yeah, those sort of inconsistencies. Its legend began to build throughout the 1960s as sure. it sort of wor- was working the repertory circuit. Uh, this TV series came out in 1983, right at the inception of VHS. So once again, the classics started to breathe again, and they started to become familiar again. It was and also a good time Even for... though it was embellished by memory, it suddenly was fresh anew. Like, people were all, were discovering the movie in a new generation. And the time period in which Casablanca was set, and mm-hmm. that sort of uh, uh, backdrop of political mm-hmm. intrigue and suspense and tension in World War II was once again becoming rather popular because that was around the same time Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. Yeah, yeah. And you'll notice, we'll talk about it a little bit, the makers of this show have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, 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 <laughs> the photographer, uh, Emmy winner Joseph Birock, uh, yeah. actually, yeah, took a lot of cues from the, the photography in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and a Absolutely. lot of the big adventure films at the time. Uh, so yeah, into uh, April of 1983 came Casablanca the series, completely recast, of course, yes, uh, as you would have to. Uh, let's let's go over uh, the mm. cast of this show. Um, uh, Rick, the Humphrey Bogart role, is played by... David, David Soul. Uh, for the star of Starsky and Hutch, you may remember him as Hutch. Uh, he was also the star of the TV miniseries Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was also on a Cancel Too Soon series produced by the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savages, Stephen J. Cannell, called Unsub. <laughs> which we'll have to try to track down someday. Uh, are you sure it's not UN sub, like a submarine no, belonging I, to? No, it's like unsubstantiated. Like that's what it's short that's for. A, that's a dumb title. That's a, I can see why that got canceled. <laughs> um, hey see. guys, let's run home and watch Unsub. All right, so Rick, for those of you who, who are either haven't seen the movie or kind of hazy on it, uh, Rick is an American. Who's, who's hazy on Casablanca? Do you want to assume that everyone has seen everything? No, we need to actually inform people. All right, if this all is right. if this is a bit redundant. Fine, mm. we'll boot it through as quickly as possible. Mm. But if there's anyone out there who needs a primer, we're going we're gonna to give it to him, okay? All right. All right. Rick uh, is an American living in Morocco. He owns a, a restaurant called Rick's Cafe American mm-hmm. uh, and is considered the best restaurant in town. And uh, he is constantly uh, being asked to get involved in political intrigue, and he's constantly trying to stay out of it. Yeah. Um, so that's David Soule. Uh, then there's uh, Captain Reynaud, mm-hmm. uh, Louis who was originally played by Claude Rains. Here he's played by the great Hector Elizondo, yeah. who you may recall from every Gary Marshall movie. And, and other things as well, but yeah, mostly yeah. Gary Marshall movies. Uh, he's... Is he a good Reynolds? I would actually argue he kind of is, but we're going to talk about that in some detail. All right. Uh, then there's Ferrari, who was originally mm. played by the great Sidney Greenstreet, <laughs> uh, who you may remember from the Maltese Falcon, Christmas mm. in Connecticut. Um... He's played here by an actor named Reuven Bar Yotam, who uh, has been in a lot of stuff, but nothing terribly like famous in America. Uh, his biggest other role here is probably You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Ah, but that Fer- classic. Ferrari in the film and in the show is the owner of a, of a rival cafe mm. um, who is a bit more ingratiated into the criminal underworld than Rick is. Uh, then there is, but make no mistake, Rick's up to some shady stuff. Oh yes, he, he runs a casino. Oh, he does, which is, which is illegal. But that is just his own thing. He's not yeah, getting yeah. involved in like the revolution. Mm. He's not getting involved on the German side of either. Politically, he's trying to stay neutral. Yes. Uh, then there is Sam, originally played by the great Dooley Wilson, who of course sang as time goes by. Here he's played by Scatman Crothers. Boy, is that good <laughs> casting. 
And uh, and he sings uh, as time goes by as the TV series opening theme song, and yeah. he does a, a crackerjack job. Scatman Crothers, you recognize him as uh, he was he was from The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also the voice of Hong Kong Fooey, which lasted only one season. <laughs> We're going to get to it at some point. Oh, oh, we get to do Hong Kong Fooey. Isn't that kind of fun? That's going to be a lot great. of those that are yeah. cool. We also get to do the Super Globetrotters. <laughs> yeah, we do. One of his other bigger roles, he was in Twilight Zone, the movie, and the Steven Spielberg. That's right. He, he segment. Was, yeah, pretty cool. Um, he, he he was the role that uh, he was actually cited by Spike Lee as like one of the most offensive stereotypes in in the Twilight Zone movie. Well, just in Hollywood in general. Oh. The uh, it, and this is Spike Lee's term, the magical Negro, yeah. the, the guy who comes in and just the black man who comes in to save the the well-to-do white people. He's not wrong about he's, that. I feel kind of bad that Scatman Carruthers got singled out. Well, but he's, I mean, he's such he, a nice performer. He was one, I think Bagger Vance was was like the the prime example of that. Bagger but Vance yeah. is the ultimate example. Yeah, of it's that. like the er, er magical Negro. Um, then there is Carl, who helps run the restaurant uh, with Rick. Mm. He was played by the great S. C. Zagal, who was a few, who like many of the cast members of the original uh, Casablanca were mm. on the run from Germany. They actually <laughs> fled Germany uh, to America. They were refugees working mm. on Casablanca. Um, call was also uh, Felix in one of my favorite movies, Christmas in Connecticut. Uh, and here he's played by Arthur Mallet, who had a lot of small roles in big movies like Hook. Yeah, I, I remember, I recognized him instantly from Hook. He was the, the crazy uncle Leslie, I think. Who lost his marbles. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then there's Halloween. He was the grave, uh, he was the cemetery keeper in Halloween. Who's like all right. oh, those right, kids yeah. in there messing with the thing. They took Judith Maya's headstone. He also was the voice of Mr. Ages in Secret of Nim. Oh, no kidding. So that's kind of fun. All right. Um... Then there's Sasha, originally played by Leonid Kinsky, a Russian character, mm. played here by a baby-faced Ray Liotta. And, uh... Like, it's third credit ever. I, I don't know why he's considered, like, why he gets top billing in this. He's in the credits. He has nothing he has to do nothing to ever. do. We, now, we only saw five episodes. It only lasted five episodes. Uh-huh. But... I don't see a what they were going to do with the character, or b why they had the character at all. I get you have a bartender, but you don't need to put him right up top. You know, there's there's this because yeah, here's the deal. they figured Sasha was important. We're going to need Sasha, mm. and, and I guess he's young. He's a young character, and you yeah, want to have someone so. kind of young and sexy. And Ray Liotta is very young and sexy uh, from back in his lonely you, lady phase. You already had <laughs> you already had David Soul, and he was he was plenty dashing. But he wasn't young. You want someone oh, uh, young, right. and I suspect they might have wanted like Ray Liotta here. Maybe he can seduce some of the younger ladies and bring in mm. some sex appeal. But he's David Ray- Soul did all of that. I know he did all uh, of that. That's the theme of the show. But here's the thing. But Ray Liotta. Mm. Bless him, he became a great actor. You know him from Goodfellas, Field of Dreams, Operation Dumbo Drop. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he, he has, his career has taken a really sad tack in recent years. Yeah, he's not doing uh, that great lately. Because he, he plays a lot of heavies, mm-hmm. and, which is fine. He's good at it. But uh, in more than one movie, I think three, maybe even four times, he has played the character that the young ingenue is reduced to having sex with to make her life, like, to, to illustrate how bad her life yeah, has become. Yeah, he symbolizes, having sex with Ray Liotta in certain movies symbolizes mm. your life has gone wrong. Yeah. L- That's there's, not good. There's the hot young uh, immigrant movie where the hot young immigrant had to sleep with Ray Liotta. There was the yeah. one where uh, Ray Liotta got a lap dance from his daughter. You know, there's, there's all the these... Where where he, there's uh, uh, In the Name of the King and Dungeon Seat's Tale, which opens with mm. a close-up of Ray Liotta making out with Lily Sobieski. Yeah, and that... That's that, like the first shot. That, 
that, and that's meant to illustrate, I think, how bad life has gotten for Lily Sobieski. Yeah, there's a it, she, it, she it, retired in, in, in many she layers. From there, the in I don't know if that's a coincidence <laughs> or not. Strangely enough, she might she retired. But Ray Liotta in this show, like, there's always like a plot going on. Like Rick isn't getting involved with trying to talk people out of joining the revolution or trying to get people out of his uh, uh, his well, bar before things happen. And Ray Liotta just comes in. Hey guys, what you doing? And everyone's just like not. Fucking now, Ray Liotta. It's like, oh, okay. Like he shut, always looks shut, like he doesn't yes. know what he's supposed to be doing. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's. Uh, something you didn't mention, uh, the series Casablanca takes place one year before the events of Casablanca, the movie. Yeah. Uh, every episode begins with September 1941. Uh, now, I'm not sure if the, if the series was going to go on for like multiple seasons, if it... It would even, have to even, to get out even, of September. Have to get out of September if, eventually. Even if it took, you know, <clears throat> took play. Even if it took like eight years to complete the series, if it all would have taken place in 1941, that's because, an eventful year. Because at, the whole point of Casablanca is about it's about this cynic who has a few strikes of hidden righteousness, but is mostly just a cynical and a, a cynic and a drunk mm-hmm. who, in encountering his old love, finds finds it within himself to care again, more or less. That's basically. He has a line so, in the movie. Rick has a line in the uh, movie. I stick my neck out for nobody. Uh, and everyone sort of takes that to mean uh, um, that he's entirely involved in his own self-interest. And what you realize over the course of the film is he will only stick his neck out for nobodies. People who yeah, have like yeah. nothing, he'll stick well, his neck they, out for them, but only a little bit well, and only as much as he has yeah, to. Ray, Ray, I think it's Reynald who, who bags him early in, in the movie says, you know, you fought in this. You you fight on all these like these lost causes. We've looking. Yeah. We're looking over your papers, over your records. Yeah, in World War One, you were always on like the losing side of war. So we we understand that he ha- he doesn't like bullies and he has a a soft spot for underdogs. That's as as much as we get to know about Rick. And it's not until after his rigmarole with his re- uh, reunification with Ilsa mm-hmm. that he learns to sort of soften and be a little bit more righteous again. This is a series that takes place before the events of Casablanca, but he's already sort of like this detective slash freedom fighter character. Yeah, he's who is sticking his neck out all the time for people. Here's the, mostly for hot chicks. Here's the problem with this show. <laughs> and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the episodes in uh, a second. But basically, here's the problem with the show. When you think about, oh, how are you going to do Casablanca the series? Well, well, it's all I, there. The setting is great. The setting is a, yeah. my point. Is the great setting. Mm. Mm-hmm. For for adventure, for action, for intrigue, for crime, there's so much you can do in this hotbed of of revolution and oppression and fear. Well, and there's, there's, but, but there's also like people from all over the world. It's mm-hmm. and who are coming in if, constantly. If you've seen the movie uh, Star Wars from 1977, this li- is little little yeah. sci-fi flick. Uh, there was a, a cantina in there, the most Eisley Cantina. It was full mm-hmm. of all these little like these weird creatures from all over the place. That was Casablanca. That was Casablanca. They took that from Casablanca. Yeah. So that it's it's that it's yeah. this weirdo bar in the middle of in the middle of this like politically uh, tumultuous setting, but it's a great you, place, a great place to set a series. I, when it's you, not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea, but when you make it all about Rick, you're absolutely right. This is mm. this is part of the problem, mm. is that they've got to leave Rick in place so that eventually the events of Casablanca will happen mm. and he won't be completely changed. But you can't have Rick not getting involved ever. Yeah. So what we end up doing is we end up basically remaking Casablanca with every episode. More or less. Where there are people who are trying to get Rick involved in something. Rick says, no, 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 I don't do that. Rick having to get involved, showing his good side, and then everything getting reset back to zero at the end of every episode. He doesn't just show his good side. He starts like taking an active interest and uh, like 
enacting revolutionary measures on behalf of the characters that pass through. Now, he's he's the constant, and the people whose dramas it is are the guest stars in every episode. Pretty much. Uh, the guest stars are invariably either hot young ladies or are young men who have hot young ladies in tow. There's always an Ilsa character. There's an Ilsa-type character. Uh, there's... Uh, and some of them were played by actresses you might recognize, like in episode five, it was Persis Kambata. From, oh, she was in Star Trek The Motion Picture, but Trek. she had no hair. <laughs> Not a follicle. Pure <laughs> MST3K reference. She was bald as a flick chicken. Uh, um, yes, Persis Kambata with hair. Probably the most notable guest star on the show. Uh, and, oh, I, I, I forgot her name. The actress from the second episode was also around. I had seen her in a lot of different stuff. She was in, like, Funny Farm mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, comedies uh, of the 1980s. The, the belly dancer... Uh, not, not the, not the no, belly dancer. I'm telling you about yeah, okay. the belly dancer. In episode four, there's a belly dancer mm-hmm. played by Melinda O'Fee, who was the mom in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. That's where you, <laughs> you kind of recognize her from. Uh-huh. That's the one. Mm. But Ilsa, because we really didn't talk about it, Ilsa is like this character that Rick knew when he was younger and more idealistic, and then she dumped him for reasons then unknown. Mm. And just sort of left him high and dry. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what made him cynical. Uh-huh. So he's constantly encountering people throughout the series who remind him of Ilsa and set him on the journey the movie sets him on before the movie. Here's what I kind of wish they had done hmm. already, and we'll talk more about each individual episode. What I kind of wish they had done is they had either started off with him still being kind of idealistic and then found a way to make him more cynical, but this is way before Breaking Bad, and you really probably couldn't get away with that on TV in the 1980s. Or just watching him slowly become more and more cynical. It probably would have been really interesting, but I don't think TV shows were willing to do that back then. Hmm. Or... Just have it take place after Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, uh, it, he finds a way. Like the, at the end of Casablanca, can, can, he like what's he the loses last his... what's the last line of Casablanca? This could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Not yeah. spoilers. Um, <laughs> and, uh, can, I'm not sure if you spoil something that's so heavily quoted, but uh, it's it's about how he and Reynald have this sort of this new buddy relationship, and they're both uh, agreeing that they're going to set aside their both mm-hmm. their their own self interest, and they're actually going to do something in to, ca- in Casablanca. Though well, they, re- they actually no, in, I rewatched it. Just a lot of people remember them. Like, oh, they're just going to go back to Casablanca and do their own thing. Mm. Rick has sold his cafe. That's right. He has murdered a prominent German officer. Reynaud is helping him cover up, and Reynaud is going to help them go join the resistance somewhere else in Africa. Okay. So they were leaving. But here's the deal. The the prequel of Casablanca plays pretty fast and loose with the continuity anyway, Mm. because uh, in the beginning of Casablanca, the movie... Um, is it Corporal Strasser? No, Major Strasser. Major, Major Strasser, Strasser the is Con- the Conrad Veidt character. Yeah, he's like right. the he's like the main German antagonist mm. uh, in the movie. We see at the beginning of the movie him arriving in Casablanca for the first time. He is one of the main characters in the yeah, show, yeah, so already yeah. they're they're not hewing mm. too closely. So th- this takes place in between that scene where he first lands and uh, the first and the next scene in Casablanca. The entire <laughs> series, a whole year, crammed into that little that, that little edit. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it would have made a lot more sense if it was still set in Casablanca, but it took place after Ilsa had already left, and uh, then we could have this sort of newfound righteousness within Rick, mm-hmm. and how he's actually actively trying to help people now, and he's a, a bit more mm-hmm. of a heroic character. Could have worked. And, but he's also got to play that part. He's got yeah, to yeah. pretend he's not. You so know, like, it, it's it would have worked fine. It, yeah, there's a, there, there's a lot more intrigue there, and he actually mm-hmm. has the French police on his side now, and you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot more intrigue. After Casablanca, when you when we have it before, it just seems incongruous, especially given the fact uh, that he has a new love interest every single episode. I know, like it's re- 
ridiculous. He, this guy gets around like Captain Kirk does. This mm-hmm. the, a woman appears in front of him. She says, "I need your help." He says, "Well, you know what can cure you is my magical body." <laughs> Actual and, quote from the show. No, that's not a shit. That's not a quote. Well, it's it's the, it's James Bond syndrome. You know, yeah. you, you know, it will turn. You, I I see you're evil. You know, it will turn you good. A little bit of loving, a <laughs> little, little bit of Bond sexing. My magical Bond wiener will transform oh, you. Okay, you're you're done. I, I can keep going. No, you're uh, done. You're but good. My point is, they come to him desperate, and invariably, he gets to smooch on these hot ladies that come through. Pretty much. Um, at least one episode calls him on it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. In a minute, I, but, I do appreciate. Up to there's, the f- and each one of these ladies, uh, '80s spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, this it takes place in 1941, and it looks like the costumers and the makeup designers did nothing to make them look <laughs> authentically 1940s at all. They're like Kate Capshaw in Temple of Doom mm-hmm. in, in terms of their authenticity. Temple of Doom actually actually a good prequel, at least in terms of the character. Because yeah. remember in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's all about well, this, this, these things belong in museums and all mm-hmm. these kind of deals. And in Temple of Doom, he's a soldier of fortune. Yeah, he's yeah. actually all about the money in that one, and it's all about his journey, mm. Indiana Jones's journey, to actually a believing in like the supernatural and things, but also uh, to having people, yeah. but also not only helping people, but having more respect for antiquity mm. uh, uh, in in general. So that actually was a good version of this. <laughs> Casablanca the series, not so much. The first episode of Casablanca the series mm. uh, is "Who Am I Killing," which is a great title for an episode. That's a great name for anything. That's a Raymond Chandler novel. Like, that's a good one. Um, it is directed by uh, Ralph Senensky, who directed two episodes of the series. He was uh, his other biggest credit is he did a lot of Star Trek episodes, yeah, like original Star mm. Trek episodes. This is this one is probably more than any other. Mm. Pretty much just Casablanca the movie. Uh, Rick is Rick well, is. What, what I appreciate yeah. is that th- there's no there's no attempt at piloting. This. Mm. They don't have to set up the premise for Casablanca. We know. Mm-hmm. And it's so, su- such a great premise. And not only is it part of the culture, but it's so just easy to, to communicate through just the visuals mm-hmm. that we don't need this sort of strained origin story as to how Rick came to mm-hmm. get the cafe or what the situation well, is. They don't explain any of that. They actually we get have, it all immediately. They have a pretty elegant uh, opening credit sequence. Mm. Which I actually kind of like. It's mostly Scatman Carruthers singing mm. as time goes by, but you get a sense of sort of the flavor of Casablanca, the different types of people, the seedy underbellies, and you also pick up very clearly that this is a time of war. This is a time of occupation, mm. um, and it's it's. I mean, a lot of episodes actually begin with like a different musical number. Yeah, of, of like Scott singing a different song while like I, people are getting shot in the streets, and I, it puts it uh, in the place pretty effectively. I'll give it that. I was uh, I had a very I was looking up every single song he was singing just to make sure it wasn't like an anachronism. Uh huh. They were good. They're, oh, they're that's all, good. They're all they're all like Tin Pan Alley standards. It's so, a good, yeah. but that was a good time for music, man. Mm. There's a lot of great oh, yeah. music from that yeah. period. Scott McCrothers plays it all real, real well. Although he doesn't play, have you noticed that mm. they actually shoot his hands when he's playing piano, and mm. he's just sort of laying his fingers on the keys. He's, well, he's, he's not actually playing the he piano. Doesn't want, they don't want to ruin the sound. I assume Scammer Brothers actually probably did, because he was a musician. Mm. He probably did know how to play the piano. But you notice this in the... I interviewed... Um, oh, God, what's her name? The actress who plays Felicity in Arrow. And she oh, yeah. plays, like, this hacker character. So she's constantly, like, doing all of her dialogue while she's typing. Mm. And I just asked her, what are you typing? 
Mm. Like, do you memorize things and just type? Mm. Like, what are you doing? And she was just like, I'm actually not touching the keys at all. Uh-oh. Because if I was, that would mess up the sound. Okay. And we, you couldn't fix that. So mm. they always add the typing in later. So I'm just doing that above the keys. So he's probably doing that just so that they have clean sound and then they can edit around it. Mm. And they're not stuck with whatever music he was playing at my, that my moment. Po- my point is, they're shooting his hands. I know. <laughs> they made the mistake I think of including also- his hands in frame. When we're... Indicating that he's definitely not playing the piano. I'm not saying Scatman Crothers can't play piano. I know. I'm saying that he wasn't. I'm clarifying. But here's here's something I think is maybe worth remembering when we talk about television, particularly from like the 80s and backwards, is that most people didn't have a big TV. They were shooting this for a format that a lot of people were still watching in black and white. Yeah. You know, yeah. they were watching on very small televisions. They're watching from across the room. These sorts of things were considered luxuries, probably, well, uh, uh, by a also, lot of TV Also, shows. they were shooting in a hurry. They didn't mm. have time to do, like, re- oh, we, we saw his hand. Don't worry, we don't have time. i got to get to the next shot. So yeah. it's it a weekly program. Yeah. It only lasted five episodes, but they didn't know that at the time. No, they didn't. Uh, this, uh, so, so the episode is, there's, like this, uh, there's a singer at the club. Mm. Uh, the Germans have a thing for her. Rick decides to help her leave. They're going to leave together, which is like really like yeah. ultra romantic for Rick. And then uh, she gets killed, and he goes back to the bar. That's the whole episode. Yeah, like, there's really not much going on. No, there's meta. There's a subplot with medical supplies as well. Mm. They're going to smuggle. Me- they're not oh, only yeah, going to yeah, leave. Yeah. They're going to smuggle some medical supplies out. Yeah, and uh, and that's it. That's kind of it. And you- and, that, and in fact, that's the reason she gets killed in the end is that they mm. took some time to load medical supplies onto a plane, and yeah, they, they, they to took they took so much time doing that 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 she got machine gunned. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of tragic. And honestly, I'll say this: there's real. As I said, there's just this isn't like the 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage where every scene is insane. Uh-huh. Like it's actually just like it's actually just kind of straightforward. Uh-huh. I was impressed just watching the first episode. The first mm. episode gave me some hope. Mm. I'm like, okay, you know what? Some of the people are miscast. Most of them are fine. Mm. Um, they they got a good sense of uh, uh, of the environment of Casablanca. Like it feels kind of Casablanca y <laughs> in like a, a cheaper way, but it doesn't mm. feel off. Um, and even though this first episode was very similar to the plot of Casablanca, I kind of get it. You want to evoke it, you want to get it out of the way, and now we're going to move on, we're going to do something completely different, second episode's exactly the same. In fact, all five are. In fact, the... the With subtle variations towards the end. The second uh, in, in fact, notice, episode two is called The Master Builder's Woman. Yes. The third episode is called Jenny, 8675309. The fourth episode is called The Cashier and the Belly Dancer. Mm -hmm. And the fifth episode has the word divorce in the title. We're evoking the female lead in every single one of these titles. Yes, we are. No, there's nothing so, inherently wrong with that. No, but it but just tells it, you what the it, what it, their it shows you. Yeah, it shows you what the focus of the show is, and it's about the women that pass through Rick's life. And talking about casting, I'd like to talk about David Soul for a second. David Soul, who plays Rick again, he's he Starsky and Hutch. He's a fine actor. He's not bad. He's a tall, handsome guy. Mm-hmm. Got good presence. I buy him. Mm. I buy him in a, in a noirish setting. I buy him in a, for sure. And in fact, they put him in the fedora and they give him the cigarettes mm-hmm. and they try to try to do the '40s noir mm. look. Totally, I totally buy him in that mm. look. He looks good. Rick is not a noir hero. <laughs> I would actually, uh, here is Rick is Rick is not a Rick is not a detective. You can say but, yeah, maybe. But Casablanca is a film. Even it ends happily, which is why it's not considered a noir. Mm. If that had had a more cynical ending, Casablanca would have been the best noir ever. It is mm. an entire film about sort of moral compromise. It is very noir-ish. All right. So I'm going to defend it on that level. But go on. 
they also dress him like in an Indiana Jones coat in one episode, if you remember. <laughs> two episodes. Uh, two, yeah, they give him yeah. that sort of like that weathered leather jacket yeah. and he has the hat on. He looks like Indiana Jones. He looks like he wandered in uh, off the wrong set. Like he was my, just Harrison Ford's double in a, in a shot somewhere uh, and they forgot to change his clothes because he's back on the Casablanca set. My looks, point it is, looks ridiculous. David Soul's presence and his costuming and the way they shot him and the way he presents himself uh, gives us a hero, a hero type, somebody who is supremely mm. confident, a man of action. Rick was very specifically not a man of action. Mm-hmm. He would only take action when he damn well pleased. And when he, he wasn't, did take action, uh, for the most part, you'll notice Rick doesn't like like shoot people from a speeding car. Mm-hmm. Rick's actions in Casablanca are actually really small and insidious. He helps someone win mm-hmm. at gambling. He so nods, have enough money to buy a visa he and nods, get out of the country. He yeah, nods yeah. to the band to play the Marseillaise. Mm-hmm. These are his big hero moments. <laughs> at the end, he's like he like saves the day through pretty simple con man trickery. Uh-huh. Just says, be here. Oh, I, d- I double-crossed you. That's if kind any, of his whole thing. If, if anything, he's a con man. And mm-hmm. while uh, Humphrey Bogart is, you know, damn charismatic. He doesn't have that sort of square-jawed heroic quality, at least not when he's in Casablanca. No, he never really did. Uh, Maybe kind of African that, queen, but not really. But no. that's never been his appeal as a performer. Oh, he's, and Sahara, too. He was really good in that. <laughs> he did it a few times. Okay, He's, 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 pretty, he's good in everything. My, my point is he was always... A, a bit of an odd, uh, an outsider. He was a dark horse. He was he was sort of the the con man. He was better at those sorts of roles. Mm-hmm. And now we cast David Soul, who is tall and forwardly handsome mm-hmm. and charming and kissing ladies mm-hmm. and getting involved and yeah, shooting people from moving cars and stuff. Uh, what Rick is this? <laughs> This is like that version of Casablanca. There's the story, and it's mm. not entirely apocryphal, but it's getting it got blown out of proportion. That Ronald Reagan was almost Rick in the original Casablanca. Mm. In actuality, it's my understanding that he was on Probably. the short list. Uh, like he, he was one may, of the people maybe being auditioned. Considered. Yeah, okay. You know, there's there's this history of people who almost got cast in things, and often we find that people who almost got cast in great roles that ended up becoming iconic mm. um, were handsome or pretty boys. Mm-hmm. Um, when Sylvester Stallone was shopping around his screenplay to Rocky. He stipulated that I'll, he'll he'll take a complete loss on it. He'll make almost no money off of it if he gets to play Rocky. Okay. One of the wisest decisions anyone <laughs> has ever made. But but there were people who were throwing money at him. I'm trying to remember what studio it was, but one of the studios was throwing money at him, saying, "We'll give you like a million dollars of the script, like a huge and ridiculous amount, if you let Ryan O'Neill play Rocky." Uh, Ryan, Ryan O'Neill, O'Neill would not have done a good Rocky. No, it might have been no. an okay movie, but it wouldn't have been Rocky. And and my point is, just in the casting of David Soul as this kind of dashing man of action, completely changes the tone of Casablanca. Yes, imagine. If not just Ronald Reagan, who who is like a good hero type? Like if someone like Errol Flynn, yeah, if Errol Flynn had been had played Rick, had had played Rick. Tyrone Power, maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it it would have changed the film completely, irrevo- irrevocably. Yeah, it's, it's, it would have been a very different film. And I think that's what that's the biggest error of this series. In it changes it into something completely different, and which is why it doesn't really work work well as a prequel because exactly David Soul doesn't really sell the cynicism. I don't buy that he's not somebody who wants to get involved. But as a sequel, it might and, have been fine. Yeah, maybe so. It would have been probably a little bit more brash. But it again, might not have felt like Casablanca, but it would have worked. It would have. It's still it would have made sense. Still, however, a completely different character in the Casablanca scenario. Yeah, and he tries to do a little bit. He doesn't do an imitation, mm-hmm. and thank goodness. Nobody, yes. nobody can. No. But he does try to take on a few little vocal cues from Bogart here and there. A little bit. The problem is he's not good at it. No. And more than anything, he's evoking Edward G. Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like, hey, so what are you going to do with me now? See, you know, he kind of kind of has that gangster patois a little, little bit. bit. So he feels more like he's escaped from a cop drama. And I yeah. think that the the runners of the show didn't stop and tell him what this show was supposed to be. Yeah. And he's going on a kind of a, a vague cultural well, memory of what Humphrey Bogart is rather than playing Rick. The runners of this show actually, yeah. um, kind of interesting. Like we see, we've done a lot of people who've done, created like a lot of shows. Uh, the producer of this uh, series was David L. Wolper. Mm-hmm. Um, who's did a lot of TV documentaries. He also produced some films. He produced Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. and L.A. Confidential. Um, but and uh, the director of Willy Wonka uh, directed an episode of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a mm-hmm. second. Uh, David Wolper also uh, created Get, or executive produced, Get Christy Love. <laughs> a show I definitely want to do and cancel too yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was also produced by Charles B. Fitzsimmons, uh, who uh, worked on Wonder Woman, Love American Style, which is pretty funny because episode five of this series is Divorce Casablanca Style. Uh, and he also did, and I want to try to track this one down. I don't know where we're going to find it. Uh, there was a pilot episode of a sitcom based on the movie What's Up, Doc? No kidding. Yeah. All right. No one ever talked about that. It was just a blip on his IMDb page. I was like, he, didn't, he was working on What's Up, Doc? What? The pilot hell? episode. We got to track up, that sucker down. Series? Weird. Mm. So the second episode is called Master Builder's Woman, and the idea is that Germany's master builder, who is actually just some builder guy who Hitler knew, and now he's like all Hitlery, and he can give mm. jobs to like his buds. So now yeah. he's Germany's master builder, and he's going to build something in Africa that's going to like change the course of the war. And everyone's trying to find out what it is so that they can sell the plan so they can stop it from happening. There is a plucky Lois Lane type reporter who wants uh, to find out. There is also a woman uh, who Rick ends up getting deeply involved with. She, would, she's the one from Funny Farm, the one that you yeah. kind that people our age kind of recognize. She's chased that pig around the house in Funny Farm. Remember that? <laughs> Uh, and then she turns out to be like this. Everyone thinks she's like a traitor because she's like on the master builder's arm. She's like sellout, mm. but she's actually a, a revolutionary who's stealing secrets. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was kind of cool. We haven't really talked th- about there's there's a uh, and there's a switcheroo. They they mm. well and there's a switcheroo that's not really well explained in this yeah, episode no, really because not. she has to leave the country. That's that's the plot of all of these. I'm gonna romance you and then chew you away. Yeah. Uh, but the the plucky Lois Lane type uh, ends up. Like getting involved with this plot that Rick sets up. So the plucky Lois Lane essentially is set up so her identity can be stolen by the heroine, so the heroine can use her papers to get out of the country. But now the Lois Lane and they is even, stuck in Casablanca. Yeah, and they even you, say, they, she even says at the end, and she even took my passport. And then Rick says, well, you know, it turns out she was this revolutionary. And she says, wow, what a scoop. You're still stuck in Africa. I thought she was going to end up being one of the main characters. Which would have been great if she was. You know who else is in this series? It's weird. They make a big deal out of putting Sasha Mm. in the series, who even in the movie didn't have much to do. It's barely in it. Like, if you'd be forgiven for forgetting Sasha existed. (laughs) Um, You know who isn't in in the series? Ugarty. But, well, uh, Ugarte is a great character. Ugarte is a fantastic character, and he's played by Peter Lorre, and yeah. he, I, I, I love sl- Peter Lorre. He's this slimy guy who will kind of do anything to make a buck. He's he's like uh-huh. uh, the Sydney Green Street character. He's like Ferrari, but not as powerful, not as scrupulous. Uh-huh. Just a just a little worm. <laughs> he's, he's so great. He probably oh, could have like been a cool like character to have in the show, and like mm. constantly throwing monkey wrenches in everyone's plan. Right. 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 
And you know, it's he, weird that he's not in the movie. You could you could have cast Armin Shimmerman. Yes, I was thinking uh, a, who a you young get. young Armin Shimmerman would have been great as, as a young, which which it kind of did in Deep Space Nine anyway. <laughs> <It> but <kinda laughs> um, we didn't really talk about the Germans here. Uh, Major mm. Strasser on the series is played by Patrick Horgan, uh, who did a lot of uh, soap operas, as Will Turns and The mm. Doctors. Uh, but he, who has more screen time than him is actually Lieutenant Heinz. Mm. Who in the movie was Colonel Heinz. His role is so small in the movie, he's not even credited. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, he's played by Richard Ryan. Um, here he's played by Kai Wolf, who ha- played a lot of Germans. Yeah, well, he's a German actor. But so. he played like a lot of uh, Nazis. He was uh, a Nazi in the opening bit from Twilight Zone, the movie, but the synergy <laughs> there. Uh, he was also uh, the German uh, uh, gunfighter from Three Amigos. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that guy. As you Americans uh, say, we will play for keeps. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was typecast, and I'm sure he was fine. He was happy for the work. I, I, work. I, I think yeah. he worked in Germany a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I appreciate that there were various bad guys. Mm. It would have gotten really tiresome if there was just one bad guy who was constantly breathing down Rick's it becomes, collar the entire it time. It becomes comical uh, if you do that too much. It, mm. be, it becomes like Hogan's Heroes, right? Where the bad, been, you can't take the bad guy seriously anymore. Exactly. Yeah. So that that he had lieutenants and that there were other Nazis constantly around and that they were a genuine threat. I appreciate yeah. that. They were always made dupes of. They always lost, but they were they genuinely needed to be looked at as a genuine threat. Yeah, it's uh, it's or to put another example, if you remember in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you can't beat Rita Repulsa, you know, a hundred times mm. without saying, Oh well, who cares anymore? So you gotta bring in Lord Zed. Mm. And Zed's got to marry and Rita Repulsa. And they team up, and then and they still can't do it. And yeah, and then you got to introduce new bad guys over and over again. Ooze After and... a while, you get a little tired of it, and you want to kill yourself. But we got to move on. Um, you know, so... that, that show came out when I was in high school. It, it's well <laughs> past my time. <laughs> I was in junior high, and it was well past my time. <laughs> all right, episode three. Episode three is probably the weirdest episode. Even though they're all kind of the same episode, this one this, is... is this, the, this isn't the one with the tunnel. No, that's the belly dancer one. No, no, that's belly That one's yeah. okay, but like yeah. episode three... Is the Vertigo episode? That's right. So that's right. This is the this is the the one. Yeah. So so this one's directed by Mel Stewart, who also directed Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, mm-hmm. and it is about uh, uh, Rick meeting up with a woman who we're told basically looks exactly like Ilsa, but she doesn't never, really. They never say Ilsa's name, do they? They do. Oh, they have, actually do. I, I, I must have. I, I must have yeah. used the bathroom at that they moment. Mentioned, so, yeah. They mentioned it like once. Right. Uh, uh, she, she, there is someone who looks exactly like Ilsa, mm. and Rick kind of like she's like working she, as a she, prostitute. She doesn't, but she does. Yeah, they, we're told she does. She's really spunky. Yeah, uh, she uh, wears like a, a towel through a big portion of the episode. Mm-hmm. Remember when the the knotted towel over the head was considered like the sexiest thing in movies? I remember no. seeing that a lot. No in, one in thought it was sexy. Movies it was in just the 1980s. Th- it was a thing people did. It was not sexy ever. N- no, not in real life, but movies treated it like it was. No. Like like this was this was the height of eroticism for women was tying the knot around your wet hair following a shower. I'm not sure if women even still do that. I don't. Th- I've never seen a woman actually do that in real. I'm sure they do. I'm sure someone does. I haven't seen anybody I do wonder, it since 1987. I wonder if people do it because they saw it in movies. Like I, I was reading this <laughs> article about uh, the proper way to eat with chopsticks, and it turns out a lot of Americans, when they pull apart chopsticks, mm. they kind of scrape them off, yeah. like e- each other. And apparently, no one has ever done that. The first time anyone was ever actually seen doing that was Harrison Ford in Blade Runner, and he was doing it wrong. <laughs> so everyone in America who does that does that. 
that because Harrison Ford didn't know how to use chopsticks. Oh, that's really funny. And I thought that was really funny. So I wonder if maybe the towel thing, maybe that was there because like, oh, we got to get that actress's hair wet all day. We don't want her to get sick. We'll put it up in a towel. There you go. It'll be clever. We actually have to have wet hair in every scene. And then you have to have that now. And everyone so, thinks that's the way things work. She's a, a sexy prostitute. She's spunky. Uh, I mm. think she's supposed to be British, even though she's clearly American. No, I think she's American. I think oh, she, she American? said, I think she said okay. she's from America. She's got like a very pronounced kind of old timey accent though. Mm. And Rick starts like kind of taking care of her, gives mm. her a job at the bar, starts dressing her. And then when Sam kind of takes Rick inside and said, you're being really creepy. You're dressing her exactly like Ilsa. Mm. You're treating her like Ilsa. She doesn't know what you're doing. She thinks here's this guy who finally like doesn't treat me like a piece of meat. Like she's kind of, she's not like ashamed that she's a prostitute. She's proud of it. Mm. But she's, it's kind of nice that there's someone who treats her like a person. Yeah. Turns out he's doing it without even telling her or paying her. <laughs> and so she's pissed and she has every mm. right to be. And then she gets mad at him and he realizes how creepy he's being. And then half the episode, he, for no reason, all of a sudden he's dressed like Indiana Jones. And they just, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they just, this just like, all of a sudden, this, this is, is just this happens. Was, and it's this just was, a, this was 83. It was only, when was Raiders? It was 81, right? 81 and, or 82, and, I think. So, uh, I'm going to look it, it up just so we can be clear. Yeah, it was either 81 or 82. It was after Raiders, uh, but before Temple of Doom. And uh, just Indiana Jones had sort of leaked into the consciousness. Raiders was 81. Okay. And yeah, it was it was shot and clearly influenced by Raiders of the Lost Ark more than and any any one thing beyond Casablanca. Sure. And uh, so I, I understand the impulse to dress him that way and have him sort of fill that role. Is not appropriate. No, don't do that. Not not no, for a second. That's stupid. <laughs> you can't do that. That's like I don't know. That's like having like oh yeah, I got this uh, uh, TV show and it's set in Europe in like the eighteen nineties. Oh okay, halfway through episode three, can the protagonist just suddenly be dressed like Dracula? No, that's a stupid thing to do. But Dracula was a big hit like two years ago. No, can we put some velociraptors in it? Yeah, no, you can't. No, it's stupid. <laughs> We're making Godzilla. Can we put velociraptors in it? Anyway, she leaves. Rick helps her, and he redeems himself. Ha 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 ha! It's a <laughs> Bada bing, bada boom, as they say. Yeah. The next episode uh, uh, was the cashier and the belly dancer. Yeah, this, this was kind of fun. This had a premise I liked uh, because the belly dancer, who we'd actually seen in a previous episode, I think it was the same actress. Well, she's in the credits, so I think it's easy to think she's in every episode. I, th- I think she was in the fr- in the in the first one as well. Was I she? think we actually saw a shot of her beyond the credits. Okay. But uh, yeah, she's uh, this. She's a belly dancer with uh, fantastic uh, 1941 breast implants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little, little anachronism. 80s big I, hair. I, I wouldn't bring it up except the camera loves staring right down her cleavage. Yeah, it's there's pretty like se- several shots where they're just really looking. But anyway, uh, she's the belly dancer at Ferrari's club, and Ferrari's and, like got a really popular club now specifically because of her. Uh, her. Yeah, she is in fact attracting so many customers. Rick is worried that his cafe isn't doing as well. I like that premise that the cafe's success is now a plot element. Mm -hmm. He tries to get her back, uh, get her to work for Rick, uh, for him. I'm not putting sentences together very well. You're fine. Uh, He tries hiring her away from Ferrari, but she doesn't want to go, and he doesn't know why, and eventually we learn that it's because her dressing room at Ferrari's is hiding the entrance to a tunnel. Uh-huh. And uh, there are some revolutionaries trying to burrow into the bank next door so they can steal Nazi gold and fund the revolution. The old small-time crooks <laughs> gambit. <laughs> uh, which is great. It's a it's great fine. It's a great plot. I love the way they shoot the gold. Clearly, they didn't have real gold or anything that looked like real gold. <laughs> they just painted so they just, stuff yellow. They bathed it in, like, a yellow spot lamp. Not even gold. Not even glittery. Just Yellow. Yellow. It looks like the yellow brick road got disassembled, put in a room, <laughs> and they're trying to steal those props from Wizard of Oz. 
Uh, the other subplot going yeah. on here, and this actually creates like a good bit of suspense, is that one of the revolutionaries who's helping her steal this gold is a newlywed mm. who can't tell his wife what he's doing. She thinks he's having an affair with the belly dancer, and she is going to Raynaud mm. to actually like, you know, I want my husband arrested. <laughs> he's cheating on me. He mm. hit me. Like all this stuff. Like she's mad because she thinks her husband's cheating on her, and he's definitely being duplicitous. You totally get it. But she's also like. Kind of hindering the war effort. So there's actually like some really good suspense going on here. And then it turns out that that guy who worked in Rick's bar was like using Rick's bar to like take hide tools and stuff. So there's all this incriminating evidence at the scene of the crime that will make it look like Rick was responsible. Like cutting torches and shovels and stuff. So yeah. Rick has got to show up not just to help because he does, no. but he's also got to show up to make sure he doesn't go to jail. Uh-huh. So this is actually probably the best episode. It's got a little yeah, bit of suspense. It's in, got some in ter- fun. In terms of like the plotting, and I like the characters, there's a lot of energy. Uh, the belly dancer was kind of obnoxious. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't buy anyone really being that enamored yeah. of her. She's a little too uh, uh, standoffish and mean. Yeah, and you know, like she, she's mm. she's so obviously a shyster mm. that you don't buy anyone buying it. Right, right, right. You know, so yeah. Uh, and do you find is personal question sure. for you? Does belly dancing do it for you? No, I grew up around belly dancers, so they're really mm. like. There's All not right. a lot of like this objective. You know, oh look at how sexy they are. Like a belly dancer. There was a, there was a, a restaurant in Pasadena called Burger Continental. Okay, <laughs> and uh, it was a continental restaurant, very mm. Greek, uh, very Middle Eastern. And every Sunday they had belly dancers, mm. and they were great. They were good friends of the family. One of them was my brother's math tutor in high school. One of those okay. ladies. So like I I look at belly dancers like friends. Okay. And I just like oh you can do that with your belly oh, I, that's neat like I don't there's nothing erotic about it for me but I have I, a very not, personal connection to it from when I was a little yeah. kid I'm not I'm growing up I'm never sure how erotic it was meant to be I mean the, the ladies are showing off their midsections there's a lot of skin on display and at the time uh, there wasn't a lot of, of bare skin in yeah, women's but fashion so just in principle I, there was going to be some whenever I encountered it it was always presented as just this sort of erotic not erotic exotic form of dance mm-hmm. uh, just something that certain women could do and it was really kind of fascinating I saw a TV special about a woman who could fold a dollar and a half with her stomach. Okay, she that's was, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But that's that's, pretty co- cool. Th- that's cool, but that doesn't like get me going. You know, it's, it's like that so, old tying a knot in a cherry stem kind of deal. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I don't. That's really thin. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to. What are you going to do with that? That's neat, I guess. I, but cool. Are, is is that a I'm, come on? Yeah. How am I supposed to? What's so, that going to do? I'm not sure exactly how like sexy belly dancing was supposed to be seen as in the 40s or in the I 80s. Think was, I think it was supposed to be seen as quite sexy. Uh, all right. <laughs> I, I think so. You ever see Sheltering Sky? There's like this sort of the, the exoticism alone all right. is, is in, inherently, mm. the idea is anyway, mm. more erotic than uh, the attractiveness of the people from our own culture. So right, it's supposed right, to be right. like, ooh, it's, it's, look it's, at how... It's so the Madama Butterfly thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that, that episode's pretty good. And then the last episode, Divorce Casablanca style, mm-hmm. uh, is the one where they try to tackle Muslim marriage. And you're uh, just sort of like, oh, are we going here? They're, you know what? Know. They gotta try to do something. So They didn't do it. It's, it's not as bad it's as in, I thought it would be, but it's, it's in, not great. It's in Morocco. There's a lot of Muslims about, so they mm-hmm. have to address that and I think yeah. that it's nice that they did so early in the series at least that they tried five. to yeah. uh, they got Persis Kambata Indian actress uh, mm-hmm. to, to play the Moroccan and uh, 
yeah, uh, th- this one kind of put me to sleep a little bit. It's not a very good episode, uh, but here's here's the plot of the episode. So yeah. at the beginning of the episode, uh, there are a bunch of, of Muslim men uh, in mm. uh, Rick's cafe. And one of their wives comes in, and they're having some sort of marital dispute. Full, full, full burqa, yeah. Full burqa, and mm. he says, then the rule is, if he says, I divorce you three times, mm. they're divorced. So he says it, and now she kind of blames Rick for, for, for everything. <laughs> She's kind of like protesting the bar, like outside, and keeping people from, from coming in. Still so, in for bu- full, full burqa. Yeah, yeah. Still, still fully covered. And then he finally like says, okay, look, I, I, I feel bad. I didn't know. I didn't mean to get involved. I apologize if I'm the one who pushed this over the edge. Maybe you could self-sustain yourself mm-hmm. and like get a job. I could loan you some money, get you off the ground. Be, be, be a modern woman. And she's it's, just it's like the forties. Be a modern yeah, woman. And yeah. she's just like, well, no, that isn't done. But finally, she says, okay, takes off her burka. She's uh, Persis Kambada. She's gorgeous. And, and, she, she, and, and she, it's like she, has, and she has a power suit on underneath. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Like she's, I guess it's what she needed the money for to get a new wardrobe. And she's got the shoulder pads and everything. She it's, looks fabulous. She, <laughs> and she d- decides to become a guide. In mm-hmm. Casablanca. Turns out she's rather a good guide. She knows her way around. Yeah. yeah uh, but everyone like literally like spits on her, mm-hmm. like slaps her whenever she's around. And she's and so she's there's an issue of oppression, certainly mm-hmm. an issue of women's rights. We're kind of going okay. It's not too bad. Rick's a little too much of a know it all, a little too much of a hero in the situation, but okay. Well, and, it's and not so bad. Un- unfortunately, he also adopts that sort of the the attitude of the modern audience rather than the mm-hmm. attitude of somebody from 1941. Yeah. Uh, so. It's that weird thing where the modern audience gets to have that avatar of somebody who's open-minded. He's open-minded, but he's also a bit <clears throat> condescending. Mm. Um, and then... Uh, um, it's hard to do, though, because if he's condescending in a 1940s way, he's being authentic, but that would alienate a modern audience. That's true. It's if really he's authentic to the 1980s audience, it's going to feel all inauthentic to the theme of the show. They're so kind of damned if you kind of, do, yeah, damned if you don't. Maybe it's lose. not the best idea for a plot. In, um, in, in a period piece like this, anyway. Persis Kambada's character is told by the Germans that as someone who is a guide, we tell all of our guides, they give us constant updates on what the visitors to Casablanca are saying. Are they saying anything seditious? Anything that might sound like they're trying mm-hmm. to uh, uh, plot against the, the German Empire? Uh, and they keep asking her for information on Rick because she's seen around with Rick. Uh, and she actually, it's actually kind of cool. She goes to Sasha and Carl and Sam and says, what can I say about Rick uh-huh. that looks bad, but is actually nothing? <laughs> so they have this conversation and then it turns out something that she Tur- sat Turns out, out he's in defeat. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, he goes down to like the, yeah, every Friday he goes down to the docks at 5 a.m. Oh, wow. That's, that does sound suspicious. What's he doing? He's buying fish. Yeah, for, <laughs> first, he's, like, he owns a restaurant. It yes. sounds suspicious, but it's fine. Like, mm. you know, and it'll be great. But then towards the end, she's like, oh, yeah, I just told him that he goes to this one hotel. And Carl's like, that's the last thing you should have told him. <laughs> there are guns in that hotel. Rick is trying to, ah! Well, and, and that's the thing. Rick knows about these guns all of a sudden. Rick yeah. is not a gun runner. Well, he's not. But he was actually like, there is an old general that Rick used to work with back when he was involved in the army. Uh-huh. Uh, who has, who's no longer, like, he's shell-shocked or had a head injury or something. He's, he's not mm. altogether there anymore. And people are using his apartment to store guns because it's like this perfect front and Rick finds out about it because he's been like sort of like every once in a while visiting the guy slipping him some cash mm-hmm. uh, Rick finds out about it like get these out of here what the hell is the matter with you but before they can do Persis Kambada tells the Germans about that apartment the Germans are going to go find it Rick's got to get the guns out it's a bit of a mess meanwhile Persis Kambada and Carl are like 
kidnapped by the Muslims because she's being accused of being an adulteress because when he said I divorced you the thir- three times the third time he kind of waffled a bit and used different terminology <laughs> and now it's like well shit maybe you're the jerk and Persis Kamana's like I'm what? Huh? And then she agrees to like be executed if Rick gets out okay and you're just going like where? what is happening? The, the What's going on? The threat of execution is kind of what makes the this seem all that tasteless because yeah, it's for a while, it seems like the happy ending is, it's okay, she got executed and Rick got out all right. And they end up going for, uh, on a bit and giving it a happier ending. But like for a while, it just seemed like we're supposed to be fine with that. And it's really kind of sour. Yeah, and, and it, it's one of those things where, like if you remember, uh, they had to change a lyric in Aladdin, the Disney mm. animated film. Uh, they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. They changed that lyric because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't want to pr- portray Arabs in such a negative light, as it turns out. Well, it, well, uh, they were fine with portraying them in a somewhat negative somewhat, light, yeah. but that was the line, apparently, with the, that line of Yeah, that you can't lyric. say that line. And uh, there, yeah. there's this weird sort of uh, cultural perception on ignorant white Americans' part that mm. this is what that... The, the mm-hmm. Muslim world is like. It's just horrible animals, and that sort of caters to that. Yeah. This sort of complete ignorance. And uh, it's really uncomfortable. It's pretty uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. It's not quite as bad or as ignorant as I thought it would be, but it's also lame and bad. Yeah. It's not good. Um, and that's it. That was the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't didn't continue. It did win an Emmy for Best Cinematography. Yeah. Uh, I was nominated for, for another one for Production Design. I, I wanted to mention the guy who won the Emmy. His name is Joseph Burok. Uh, you've seen his name because he fo- photographed everything. Hmm. He did It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, he did, oh gosh, he, his career goes back to the 20s. Yeah, wow. That's he did a, a lot of like B pictures. He, he, he did like photograph like films that showed up on Mystery Science Theater here and wow. there. He did like the Twonky. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. I have the Twonky. He, he did uh, uh, 13 Ghosts. Oh, the that's William cool. Castle yeah. movie. Oh, wow. That guy's, that guy's uh, awesome. Yeah, he did Kitten with a Whip, Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, wow. Flight of the Phoenix, a lot of Aldrich movies. That's amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, and he also uh, photographed Blazing Saddles. So he's been around, wow. this guy. That's cool. Uh, and yeah, in 1983, he was working in TV, and he's still winning awards, so good for him. Good for him. Mm. So uh, it's a good-looking show. His, la- uh, his last feature film was actually before this. He moved into TV, and it was Airplane 2. <laughs> Uh, he did air, awesome. He did the first airplane. He also photographed Airplane That's 2, amazing. the sequel. That's a great so, career. Holy shit. Um, That's yeah, fantastic. this guy has a great, great career, and he won an Emmy for this series. Yeah. Uh, this little thing that won, that yeah. only lasted five episodes, but he's still doing great work on Good it. Good for him. So, yeah. Um, so, look, look, look him up, because he's done so many great things. So, where would Casablanca have gone? If it had lasted longer, like what does the show need? Well, I'm not really sure because it can only last one year uh, diegetically before it runs into the events of Casablanca. So, would it have had to compress all of its time to before the events of Casablanca, mm-hmm. the movie, or would it have to have started retelling Casablanca, recasting Ilsa, have an entire season devoted to an expanded version of the movie Casablanca? You know, nowadays that could work. That's what they did on Hannibal when they finally yeah. caught up to Red Dragon. They mm-hmm. actually did Red Dragon for like half a season and it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this series could have pulled well, it off, I mean, but, but that, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a format that could work. Uh, but now it could work. They, they weren't doing that in the 80s. So mm. uh, I, they would have had to run butt up against Casablanca, done it in like a two-part event. That's all they would be able to do in 1984. Mm-hmm. And then continue onward with the same premise where it actually makes a little bit more sense. So once they get over that speed bump, 
of the movie and start telling the post Casablanca story, then it might've been a little bit more interesting as we discussed earlier in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, until they do that, I'm not sure what more can be done because they keep telling the same story got, and it's the Casablanca well, story. They don't have to keep telling that story. They could, mm. There's all sorts of, you could tell like any story, mm. any crime story, take any crime story that's ever been, Yeah. put it in Casablanca and it works. You could, there's a serial killer in Casablanca. Mm. That's a story. Uh, there's, so, there's, uh, uh, um, I don't know. There's a body heat femme fatale story of like Carl marries mm. someone and <laughs> she's going to kill him. And, like you could do that. That's, that's a Casablanca. Like mm. any crime story. Uh-huh. You could tell in Casablanca, and you could add a little World War II element to it. S- Sam is drafted by by the Nazis to play at Nazi USO shows, and he has to get involved with the conspiracy. And that would be exciting, bra- right? But that's not bad. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah you can work with that. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, there's a lot of stuff you could do. There's a. It's weird if you just take this idea. We're going to do a story set in Casablanca, and we're going to have some of the characters of Casablanca in it, mm-hmm. and we're going to do that. The, the the possibilities are kind of limitless, actually, and they limited themselves so much in five episodes that you start wondering how they could have ever gotten out of it. Well, the, there's again anything you could have done. They needed to get out of this notion, and this was still going around everywhere in television that your lead male character also has to be a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. This goes back to Captain Kirk. This goes up to Magnum PI. This is you know all of these dashing heroes we look, they, that we, need we, to have a new love interest every episode. Well, they, people want and, to see them as like the sort of a uh, um, someone to look up to. Yeah, someone we can live vicariously through. Yeah, there you go. That's and uh, and I think they needed to abandon that for the show to grow a little bit. Mm-hmm. David Soul's handsome dude. He's a charming guy, and I buy that he can you know charm all of these young women who are coming into his life, mm-hmm. but. That's not a good dramatic construct for the world of Casablanca. Yeah, you're uh, taking something with a noirish if, sensibility, if with a really was, criminal sensibility, and you're yeah. applying too much heroism. If to it. that guy was a supporting character, if there was this sort of Lothario dude who was always getting them into trouble because he was always charming the wrong woman, mm-hmm. that would be kind of interesting. So it's like face but, and A team, but yeah, but Rick would have to still be Rick in that, yeah. and yeah, not face. Yeah, no, I agree. So I'm I'm not sure if they would have been able to let go of that enough to make the show kind of grow on its own. Yeah. All right. So uh, the question uh, mm-hmm. remains: Was mm-hmm. Casablanca the series, the 1980s series, mm-hmm. canceled too soon? Uh, no. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this one. No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there was more to this that I could really get behind. I think there's more to the concept, but not to this version of the concept. Yeah, like yeah. if you just again, if you told me now Casablanca the series, mm. I'd be like, uh, I don't know if that's a good idea. But at the same time, I'd be like, but maybe if you got really talented people, mm. and maybe if you weren't too married to the original and just used Casablanca as a backdrop, this could work. Yeah. But this particular iteration, no, this is no. this wasn't working. It was. I'm amazed it's as good as it was, it, because it, like the first episode or so, I'm like, this is okay, but it just never grew. It, it's okay. It's pa- it's you know it's paced well. It's an a, a production. It doesn't mm-hmm. look too cheap. I mean, clearly it is. Mm-hmm. Like the Nazi gold, for instance. The Nazi gold but, is uh, really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it it it's a it's a decently mounted production, and they clearly put a lot of thought into it. But they didn't quite push it in a direction where it could have really grown. Mm, too bad. Mm. Um, okay, so uh, do we have any letters or anything from Cancel oh, uh, Too let, Soon? Let, uh, hype, hype our stuff while oh, I look okay. at the, the uh, earliest Cancel Too Soon letter. All right. uh, so uh, we are Cancel Too Soon. You can follow us on Twitter at mm. CancelledCast. I'm at William Bibiani. He's at Whitney Seibel. at Whitney Seibel. We have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cancel Too Soon, where we sometimes do Facebook Live videos. We did one earlier today. 
it's too late to watch it live, but you can still watch <laughs> it. We took a couple of questions. We uh, uh, talked about what we got coming up on the show. What we have coming up on the show uh, is uh, the next episode, next week, uh, Michelle, who you may recall from mm. the Sam and Max Freelance Police episode, will be joining us to talk about the anime series Dragon Half which has a bit of a cult legend beyond it, uh, or behind it, I suppose. Uh, and we'll be having a lot of fun talking about those two episodes. It's <laughs> it a real tragedy. Well, and, and then we're, we're going to have to also kind of, I don't, we're going to have to do some research as to the way Japanese television we're gonna, works. We, we so, can yeah. talk about that. We can yeah, talk yeah. about that. But the, uh, the other thing uh, we're doing in two weeks is we're going to start getting around mm. to the DVDs people have been sending us. We have an Amazon wish list. There was a link on the Libsyn page of our more recent episodes, including this one. Uh, there was also a link on our Twitter account, and there was a link on our Facebook account. If you want to help the show, we're not doing Patreon yet. We're not uh, uh, accepting financial donations. But if you want to send us material for us to review on the program, you can. We've set up an Amazon wish list. It's still got about 90 shows on it. People have already sent us like well over a dozen TV shows. Yeah. Which well, is a lot of content. Thank you, by the way. It's amazing. Uh, like, the, some, the, some the of out, really expensive. The, too, out, like, the outpouring of generosity has been terrific. And yeah. uh, because you have been so generous, we will do every single one of these. Oh, yeah, of course we, we will. We may take breaks here and there just to sort of indulge our own strange interests. We want to surprise you. If, the thing with if this... I can find the Schnookums and Meat funny cartoon show, I really <laughs> want to do that one. The thing, but, with, uh, the, the thing with this show is is, you know, a lot of the stuff that's available on Amazon is the stuff that's somewhat recent or popular enough mm -hmm. that it has a DVD release. We also want to find the stuff that no one has ever heard of that didn't have a DVD release that's kind of hard to track down. Like we the 100 Lives of Blackjack Savage. Yeah, we want to be able to surprise you once in a while, mm -hmm. so we're going to mix it up somewhat. We're going to have a few people, we're still talking to some people about becoming guests, mm -hmm. and they want to talk about a few shows that they're super excited mm -hmm. by that aren't on that list. we got mm -hmm. a weird one that's like a spin-off of well, uh, Rockford Files. Uh, what, 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 one of my good friends, Jeremy, is the world's biggest Rockford Files fan, mm -hmm. which is weird because he's at, like he just turned thirty. Somehow, somehow he's he just was already like, off the air by like, when he was born. Like, like he, he is he's the best Gen Xer I know, and he's a millennial. Yeah. And uh, he uh, he loves Rockford, and as such, owns all of the Rockford Files as well as Richie Brockelman Private Private Eye. Uh, the spinoff of the Rockford Files that nobody remembers. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we're going to be doing that as yeah. well. Uh, but the next thing we'll be doing after we do Dragon Half in two weeks, we'll be doing mm -hmm. Point Pleasant, which was the first DVD from our wish list that we received. Mm -hmm. So that'll be the first one we do, and then we're going to get through them as fast as we can. But uh, mm -hmm. even if it's still we a did, weekly show, <laughs> even if we did nothing but those shows, it'd take us a few months to get through them. Right. So we we have your DVDs. We thank you for them. We will keep accepting them, and we will always do them. It'll take us a bit. Uh, but th this this is our project. We're not beholden to any masters or lords. Mm -hmm. We are masters of our own destiny in yes. terms of Cancel Too Soon. So uh, no matter how long it takes, we'll get to them. We will. We don't, we don't have to listen to anybody else. We can we do what we want. So we we're going to get to them because we promised. Did you find any letters? I did. Uh, this comes from Colin, Eng English Colin. Okay. To just separate him from the other Collins that write we him. We have some Collins. This says, uh, Dear Main Course of Awesomeness and Minxie Bisexual Prostitute, English Colin again, which is which? Well, you're bisexual. Yes. So I guess it's I guess you. I guess I'm the Minxie. I'm, I've never... I, I'm the main course this time. I guess you're the main course of awesomeness. Neat. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this is English Colin again. This is about Beyond Westworld, so this is going okay. back a little bit. A few episodes um, Beyond Westworld. If you're um, new to the series, was uh, the first Westworld TV series that no one talks about. Mm -hmm. Came out in the 80s. We reviewed it in December. Okay. 
Uh, whilst listening to the latest episode of Cancel Too Soon talking about Beyond Westworld, a random thing stood out because it is a random thing I know a little about. Ooh. The use of magnesium in motor racing. Oh, yeah, I read this letter. This <clears throat> is an interesting there, one. Yeah. There was a, a plot point in one episode of Beyond Westworld where they swapped out a car part with one made of magnesium so that it would, it would explode better but was untraceable. And we weren't sure if they made car parts out of magnesium. We weren't sure if that was, a, that was an actually effective way to blow up a car. Mm. We weren't sure if that would work. Well, as it turns out, one of our listeners knows. Okay. Uh, over the years, magnesium has been used to make motor racing chassis because it is very light. Unfortunately, it's also deadly. The worst motor racing disaster in history, the 1955 Le Mans disaster that killed 83 people, Jesus. was made significantly worse because the car was made of a magnesium alloy. Holy shit. In Formula One, only once has a car made mostly of magnesium competed. A Honda car uh, competed at the 1968 French Grand Prix. The reason it only competed once is that on the second corner, it crashed and burst into flames, killing the driver, Joe Schlesser. Rest in peace, Joe Schlesser. Jesus. Uh, because the car was made of magnesium, the fire was far too intense for the marshals to deal with and they had to watch the deadly fireball play itself out what i'm saying is having a supervillain plan revolve around a car made of magnesium is not the worst idea in the world both of the incidents i've described are notorious enough in the world of motorsport that i wouldn't be surprised if the scriptwriters of beyond westworld were aware of one or both of them and so well i learned something from, from that letter an english and I thank column. You, um <laughs> this one's really fun uh, it comes from Sean Gifford. It's three words. It says, please do cavemen. <laughs> uh, cavemen is on our list. Yeah. Cave- cavemen is one of our most requested cavemen, shows. Cavemen is one of our most We will get to cavemen um, sooner than later. It's obviously, it's not their next couple of shows. No. But no, we've, we've heard the cries for we're, cavemen. We're definitely going to do cavemen. Cavemen, if you don't know what it is, it was the short-lived sitcom starring Nick Kroll, uh, who uh, has since become more famous. About uh, unfrozen cavemen from Geico commercials. Yes. That was, a th- that that was an was actual thing. It's one of the most embarrassing bits in uh, TV history. We're going to have to get to it soon. Uh, Trent H. writes in, uh, Hey, CTS crew. I like that. We're the CTS crew. I like it. Uh, I'll try to make this short and sweet. Recently heard about you guys thanks to This Is Rad, the podcast. And yeah, I'm enjoying the show. Yeah, they, they talked us up on their podcast. So really thank, cool thank you, This Is Rad, thanks for again. mentioning us. Uh, you guys mentioned that you kind of wanted some vague, obscure stuff in past episodes to try to hunt down. So here goes. Okay. When I was a kid, I remember catching what I can only assume was now a pilot episode disguised as a made-for-TV movie. It was about the same time and channel that aired Hercules and Xena. I recall that the company put a, uh, putting out a lot of sci-fi and fantasy shows, but when I look at the wiki, I didn't see anything that could be this thing. Best as I can describe it, it was about an actor who played a space hero on TV during the days of Ovaltine. I recall they did a fake spot on the show. But then he gets mistaken for a real hero by aliens, pretty much the same plot as Galaxy Quest. I want to say the main character was buff, but that's all I can vaguely remember. So happy hunting. Give it a great <laughs> show. Uh, Trent H. Uh, P.S. I'm glad to see you guys do cartoons as well. You should do a month of Saturday morning blasts from the past. That's something that's, I, that's I, not I, a bad I would idea, really like yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know that one offhand. I'm going to look into it. Space hero. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Well, I will look into that. I assume you said that's from the nineties. He said it, he said it was around Hercules the time of Hercules, Zena, the Hercules and Xena. Probably nineties. Okay, I'll look into that. Hmm. I'll see what I can find. That sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? No. Uh, Joshua Nelson writes in. Uh, this is a, a bit of a long one. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. First of all, I want to commend you both on two fantastic podcasts that fill my ears with thoughtful and insightful joy each week in our increasingly upside-down world. Your in-depth analysis and sound of true friendship are a joy to all of us aching for some nuance and reflective riffing in our film criticism each week. 
I'd like to suggest the late MTV series The Max from 1995 as an addition to Cancel Too Soon canon, as I feel it's magical in its own right and pioneered slash innovated so many animation methods that still permeate our 2D animation world today. Uh, the Max, I think, counts as a miniseries. The, here's why I'm going to say maybe it doesn't, is because The Max doesn't get to the end of the comic book. It's true. The Max could have continued at least in, to the end of the Max comic book, which lasted about being half again as long. The cartoon came up with kind of a button that wasn't in the comic. Otherwise, it was really, really faithful, even visually. Like it took mm-hmm. it took a lot of like directly off of the page. That's one of my favorite comics. It's one of the ones I'm like super familiar with. The Max with. is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, yeah. And he says, yeah, we probably do. The, I think we could do the Max. There Maybe. was some talk about doing mm. more of the Max, and it never uh, coalesced. From what I understand, they only ever signed on to do the number of episodes they did. But uh, but that doesn't mean they we'll wasn't look into like it. A, uh, that's they only, not, you only sign on to make as many episodes as you make, and then they ask you to make more. If they don't, you're canceled. I, I, I think they didn't intend for it to go on any further. Even the makers, like going in, they say, we're going to do X number of episodes and stop. But that's uh, uh, that's my computer. It's not uh, yours, audience. So, uh, that's not to mention is also the most faithful and cohesive adaptation of a post founders image comic that we still have today outside of The Walking Dead. Then again, Robert Kirkman has been a partner in image for a while. Does that count? Well, uh, 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 the Max was a founding image comic. It was. Sam Keith is actually a part of the founding. Uh, I believe technically we could also do the Savage Dragon animated series. I think that only lasted one season. Yeah, Wild think Cats th- lasted a while though. Did it? And I don't want to do it because it sucks. <laughs> like I saw one episode Spoiler and alert, it just maybe made, that one like, was canceled, like it made my season. eyes bleed. It was just so bad. Um, this adaptation scheduled. Oh, he says it was scheduled for a second season before Viacom's acquisition of MTV Networks. There you go. Uh, was the last iteration of anything resembling uh, MTV's liquid television milieu take a drink, and perfectly adapt Sam Keith's vi- uh, vision of issues 1 through 19 on the small screen while cutting just short of the Alan Moore-infused insanity that populated, populated issues 20 through 35. Uh, the comic is like it's two comics. like It jumps ahead and right. chronolo- chronologically. Uh, as well as the Friends of the Max miniseries. Uh, for that reason, as well as its time capsule quality of what 1990s MTV used to be, I feel it should be explore- explored on your show. Now onto the more pressing, or somewhat fun, questions. Uh, Whitney. While I perfectly understand and respect a regular person's compulsion to dismiss and be flippant about things even semi-comic book-related superhero or not, I was appalled by your approval of the term comic book as a misnomer of a thinly plotted adolescent and, sim- and simple films into the Beyond Westworld a cancel too soon. Thank you! As well as other comments you've made over the years to this effect. I remember a show where... Uh, you whatevered Bibbs mention of Mobius, and that really stuck with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a deep cut. I remember oh, that geez. episode. Um, uh, I think it's okay. I still think it's okay to use comic book as a pejorative. Nope. Just because of the it's way the way the term has is been animation used. a pejorative. Uh, if you were to uh, look at a live action film and describe it as cartoony as a pejorative, that's acceptable. I love cartoons, I love animation, and I don't think animation should be shrugged off, but if something is aiming for one medium and evoking another, that can be seen as a detriment. But what if it's aiming so for if, that thing? What the hell's the if, problem? If you're going for something but that But sometimes has, people you ascribe that to mm, things that are actually aiming for that mm, mentality, and then it's just wrong. It's wrong to use it as a pejorative if that's what you're going for. Well, I, I use the term comic bookie as a compliment to a movie like uh, uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, it feels like something 
when I saw it, I actually was kind kind of okay with it because it was it reminded me of comic books I read when I was younger. They evoked a certain type of comic book I read, so I described it as comic booky as a way of talking it up, making sure that people understood what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. It was like pre Alan Moore <laughs> comic booky. It was like 1970s. Well, we live in a post Alan Moore world yeah. in which the in which at telling someone. Uh, I don't know. I, you're wrong. Anyway, anyway, so I'll, I'll be honest. Very few film adaptations of comics ever rise to the ghost world levels, and I mostly view the vast in- output of these movies as nothing more than a visual ride and, a- and analysis exercise of what I already know being rejigged, rejiggered for a while, wider film audience. So I'm kind of on your side. But it's not comics' fault that the film execs pick and choose what they do, what they do to adapt or how they adapt it. Uh, these previous attitudes and comments would not have struck so hard, but hearing you wax so nostalgic and expansive about all things Star Trek with Scott Mance a couple of weeks back left me wondering what properties you hold in the same rarefied air as Trek outside of Doctor Who. <laughs> you don't even like Doctor Who that much. Uh, I think it's fine. I, I watched. But you don't the, hold it in a rarefied air. Uh, not really. I, I watched the uh, Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant episodes pretty closely, and I just sort of lost interest after yeah. that. But what else? Uh, what else do you hold in a rarefied air? Uh, a, a Dune, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I hold Star Trek in a rarefied air. I'm not going to pretend everything that comes out of Star Trek is great. And if somebody were to say this is like an episode of Star Trek as a pejorative, I'll accept that because there are a lot of things wrong with Star Trek. Two we, were ta- we were talking about Tuvix right before we started recording this episode. If you don't know what Tuvix is, look it up because I'm too embarrassed to describe what that is. We are not discussing the, the horror that was Tuvix. Yeah, I, I, it, I can take my fandom and realize that it can also be a little bit embarrassing from time to time, especially when Tuvix gets why would involved. Why anyone want Tuvix? No one wants you, Tuvix. The anyway, actor says, played Tuvix might have been wonderful. <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I worded that gently as I I could, as as gently as I could, for you not to view my reactions to your thoughts as an indictment or an attack. And I truly want to know what else you hold in this kind of esteem. Respect, Whitney. While I disagree with some of the things you say, I love you just as much as Bibbs. Oh, well, thank you. And Bibbs, and Bibbs, you're easy. Oh, you're the likable one. Thanks. Uh, I just want to know that your top five comics, at, what this, what your top five comics at this moment are, be they graphic novels you read in the past or oh. continuing series you happen to be reading. Oh. Jeez, that was long, and I feel a second commendation is in order just for reading this on the air, should you be so kind. You two men, I truly love the sound, but what can I say? I'm a longtime listener and a first-time emailer, and I wanted to make this one count. Uh, with respect and a whole lot of love, Josh. Uh, I am not reading as many comics as I used to, but uh, I can recommend a few things I've discovered relatively recently. Uh, Giant Days, written mm-hmm. by John Allison, is one of the most wonderfully written comics I've read in a long time, maybe ever. It's just a story of three girls who are uh, living together, they're in college, and you, you think you've seen that story, but you haven't heard it the way it's been done like this. Mm-hmm. It's just really wonderfully, uh, wonderfully told. Uh, I'm also a big, big fan of everything that's going on with Squirrel Girl. <laughs> Squirrel, you know it's true. It's just, mm-hmm. there's good stuff. And uh, also, uh, what Kate Leth and her and the various artists working on uh, Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, mm-hmm. I... Have I, I know her from Hellstorm. Yeah, and you, you may also know her from uh, the more recent uh, Netflix Marvel series, Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that comic gave me so much joy. 
<laughs> like I was, I read an issue of that comic uh, in like June, and I swear to God, and part of it might have been that I was just starting Paxel, but I, I was so euphoric. <laughs> I was euphoric after reading that. It just made me so happy. Like it was just really, really mm. wonderful. Um, I'm loving Lumberjanes. I'm really behind on it, but I love what I've read. What I've read. Um, so I don't know. If that's five. I think it's four. Right. Uh, I, maybe. Oh, um, uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch. It's really too slow to come out, but it's surprisingly creepy right now. Like it's like nice. disturbing and like got cannibalism and like it's there, did it, perverse it, rituals in the woods. Like it, it's really it's neat. So, it sounds like they're going for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh no, they're, they're going way darker than Buffy the Vampire oh, Slayer. Oh, okay. Like it's great. It's like this is like if if like if Sabrina the Teenage Witch is what happened like four hundred years after Robert Eggers the Witch. Like, that's what Sabrina <laughs> the Teenage Witch is right now. It's really cool. Nice. It's nice. really cool. So uh, I'm really digging those. I recently picked up a compendium of Inkle, the uh, comic book made by Alejandro Jodorowsky and Mobius. Oh, yeah. oh Mobius! Uh, yeah. You owe us an apology. Mobius is great, isn't it? Mobius, uh, I, I never badmouth Mobius. I just scoff at you for bringing him up. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, there you go. I'm not making fun of Mobius. I'm making fun of you. We can do one more letter if we have okay. one readily available. If not, uh, we, we will move on. We, we have one real short one. Okay, let's do uh, a real short one. Uh, this comes from Sam. He says, I just wanted to say you scoffed at my nickname, Weezy, for Whitney. Okay. But on the Rubicon episode, you're wheezing. <laughs> oh. And he says, it sounds like God herself vindicated my suggestion. Feel better, Sam. There you uh, go. I feel better now. That's Thank you. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Touche. All right. Uh, so if you want to write in uh, to the show, we have one uh, email address for both podcasts. Mm-hmm. It's bmoviespodcast at gmail.com. That's bmoviespodcast, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, please put cancel too soon in the title uh, so we can differentiate and make sure we read yours on the right show. Um, we will always take suggestions. Um, we have a lot of suggestions. We have hundreds of suggestions. Um, mm-hmm. People are sending us stuff to review. But even if we've received the suggestion before, we do pay attention to how many suggestions we get. And so mm-hmm. if we get a ton of suggestions for one particular thing, we're more likely to do it soon. Well, like we said, Caveman is high on our list because we'll, so many people we'll, are suggesting it. I will get so. the Caveman first half of this year, if mm-hmm. not sooner. Um, so don't worry about that. We'll get to your Caveman. We'll get to your precious cave. <laughs> But next week we will have Dragon Half. Michelle will be joining us again to share mm-hmm. her anime expertise. Uh, we will also have uh, Point Pleasant in two weeks, and I'm very excited uh, for that one. I've always wanted to watch that show, and I finally have an excuse. Isn't that great? <laughs> uh, so again, we're on Twitter at CancelledCast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And we're at Facebook.com slash CancelledToSoon. Thank you very, very much for listening. We'll see you next week. That's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. <laughs>